Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. As we take this transition, uh, as looking at the nation and looking at the state of our nation, we wrestled with whether I should take this entire message and communicate about what's been happening. But we decided to stay in our series because as much as we're seeing problems in the nation or rejoice in the nation, uh, once you turn that TV off, once you went to bed, once you turned off the social media, you just had you and you sitting in the room. You had to deal with you. And so today, we wanna sit back and kind of consider something about us that we have to wrestle with on a daily basis. Here's the truth about us. Uh, We we know that we are flawed people. In, In many ways, we know that there is a side of us, a feeling that's insurmountable. There's a moments when you feel as if you've made two many mistakes. I mean, you see yourself as worthless. In many ways, you feel unworthy of love. You know that feeling, the feeling you had when you, you, you found yourself in a debate, in a conversation, and you just twisted the truth just a little bit, just enough for people to have a, an impression of you that made you seem stronger. And then after you were done in that conversation, this feeling set in that you knew that you were wrong, that, that feeling that you had when you sexually went too far and the next morning that feeling set in, that, that feeling you had when you lost your temper and you went just a little bit far and you said things you knew you should not say. In every human being, there is a core sense of unloveability. If you have ever messed up to the point where you have felt worthless, if you've ever made a mistake and you feel defined by that mistake, if you've ever seen yourself so flawed that you can't be loved, if you've ever set these standards for other people, but found you can't keep them yourself. You, you say you're a vegan, but you eat meat on the weekends, amen. So there's a, there's a part of us that we, we, we tell people to do things that we know we can't do. If you've had that feeling and you know you aren't who you even want to be, who you say you are is not everything that you truly are, then you have felt shame. And shame is a powerful feeling. It is the emotional and spiritual recognition of our potential to fail. Shame, it tells me that I'm limited and I'm mistake-ridden. Shame. It also uh, tells me that I have some answers, but I don't have all the answers. Shame reminds me that... I need help. Shame reminds me that I'm flawed. In many ways, what we have seen the last few years is not just an administration that might make a mistake. We can handle that. It's, there never seemed to be an admittance. There never seemed to be a desire to own up to that mistake. There never seemed to have any shame. Shame is a word that we have not really learned how to capture in a positive way because we only understand shame in its toxic form. 
Toxic shame, many of us think, is a healthy shame, the way that we handle uh, seeing shame and seeing ourselves. But the truth is, is that toxic shame is an impaired shame. You see, toxic shame is when you say to yourself, I am broken and I'm bad. Healthy shame says, I'm broken, but I'm human. The impairment of shame being toxic shame is a, is a contempt towards myself for being human, for having needs, for asking questions. The, the key word of toxic shame is I should. I should be a better mother. I should be a better leader. I should be at this place right now. I should be reading more. I should. And we should ourselves to a place where we never can get to a place of celebrating ourselves for just being who we are. We should ourselves to death. You see, toxic shame leads to performance. And, 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 and toxic shame was built out of a key moment in your life. You see, the first time you got up in front of people and you spoke and someone said that was powerful. The first time you sang that song and someone said, oh, God, spoke to me. The first time you got a grade that was high and the teacher said, you're special. The first time someone thought you were attractive and said you looked good and it felt good to you. We, it's one thing when someone you don't think looks good tells you look good, but when that person that looks good tells you look good, it hits different. Amen. <laughs> All of those things triggered inside of you a, 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 an emotional reaction to say that thing that you just said that I do that makes me feel good about myself, that's what makes me valuable. My attractiveness makes me valuable. My intelligence makes me valuable. My strength makes me valuable. My abilities, my giftings makes me significant and makes me valuable. And the performance tension inside of us is naturally ever-growing, but it is also naturally ever-growing in our culture. Toxic shame comes actually from toxic affirmation. Those who feel toxic shame are hard on themselves, but they're hard on themselves because they've defined themselves by the affirmation they get, the likes that they get. And, and, and the reason why we are so attracted to likes, because those likes tell us, you love me, you, you, you care for me. And so there's a toxicity because you define yourself by affirmation. Therefore, that affirmation becomes toxic. It destroys you. It hurts you. You spend so much time finding out who you are on the interwebs that you have a cyber awareness, but no self-awareness. There's a reality that you don't spend time with yourself because you need to feel loved and feel good about yourself. There's a, there's a freedom in knowing and constantly getting a ever-flowing stream of my goodness, my kindness, my greatness out of what I do. And in light of that, out of that toxic affirmation, it builds out toxic shame and out of toxic shame, we perform. And there's always an earning. There's always an attempt to feel love, to feel grace from people. And when we move from toxic affirmation and toxic shame and we're performing, we have to hide our pain. We, we, are, we are bound in shame because we are achieving and we are attaining great things. But secretly on the inside, we know that we are not experiencing 
love for who we are. We know that we are not experiencing wholeness, that we are working, that we are on this never-ending treadmill of affirmation, knowing deep down inside, the minute that I don't perform well, they won't love me. And more importantly, I will not like myself. Those likes make me like myself. And the inner critic gets louder. This toxicity is, is what causes us to perform harder. It makes our secrets deeper. It makes our pride stronger. Because you can't admit, if weakness, define, if weakness means, if brokenness means that I am less of a person, then I've just, I've got to hide those parts. I can never admit that I'm flawed. They're in, they're in forms a culture of pride. In reality, shame should produce humility. Humility grows out of the profound recognition that I'm limited, that I certainly have capacities and I possess, I possess giftedness, but those things don't define me because I know that I'm broken. The Bible says in Romans 12, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think higher of themselves than they ought to think, but to think of yourself with sober judgment. The Bible is saying that we shouldn't think higher of ourselves. We could say in turn, the Bible also doesn't want us to think lower of ourselves, but the Bible wants us to have an accurate assessment of who we are. The Bible wants us to know that we can have the freedom of being flawed yet accepted. In Christ. How did we get to this toxic performance? How did we get into this state? Well, we have to understand the construction of our world and then how our world broke, the flaw in our world. The Bible gives us a beginning book, uh, Genesis, a book of beginnings showing us how this world is construction, constructed and how our world became flawed. Genesis chapter 2 says it this way, and the man and his wife were both what? Naked and not ashamed. They were these two individuals beginning this world out were introduced to a world where they were completely exposed yet comprehensively loved. They were fully known yet not rejected. This is the ideal sense of relationship. This is the ideal sense of marriage. This is the ideal sense of friendship the ideal sense of brotherhood, the ideal sense of sisterhood. This is what we're all looking for in relationship. Perfect love casts out all fear. <laughs> you know, uh, in years of doing marriage counseling and talking to couples before they get married and then talking to couples after, if you talk to a couple and if you know, if uh, those, that couple has not had sex before marriage, they haven't seen each other naked. Um, it's funny because, you know, I'll talk to them and I'm just asking them, how, how are things going? And sometimes they'll tell me that on the honeymoon, you know, they, 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 they turned off the lights and they ran into the bed and they hid under the, now they're about to have sex. Amen. This is, is this the adult? This is the adult section of the, so they're, they're you know, they, they hide under the covers and they're literally hiding 
but they're married, like it's cool, like they could, but they're like hiding, it's dark, and you know, and, and, and so, and they're like, oh, that first night, it was so crazy, it was so weird, it's like, my body, four years later, it's like, put some clothes on, please, like, what is wrong with you, right, you, you, you accept, I'm, I, you accept me a little bit too much, right, so after a few years, I know you love me, <laughs> I know you love me, right, and there's a sense of freedom, right, because over time, your flaws are accepted, and you're loved, but yet you're comprehensively loved, in the same way, that's what we want in every relationship, we want to know that if I show you all of myself, you'll still be there. And if I don't, if I'm not confident in that, then I've got to hide. So how does this get built out in Genesis 3, 6 and 7? The Bible says in, that the woman saw the tree was good for food. If you just track in the story, we know that there was a garden built out and God makes all this great land for the man and the woman. And yet he says of this one tree, they could not eat. It says that Eve saw that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The Bible says in that moment, watch what happens in verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Would you picture for a second this, this moment that they're coming to this realization of their nakedness. Their, their eyes are opened. God had given them everything that mattered on earth. God had also given them a perspective about themselves. And essentially what was happening is the way that they thought of themselves was the way that God thought of them. The way that Adam saw Eve was the way that God saw Eve. The way that Eve saw Adam was the way that God saw Adam. Vulnerability was not a threat to their relationships. Honesty was not a threat to their relationships. Everything that mattered came from God. How I see myself, how I see others. But the minute that they ate of that tree, their eyes are open. They see their nakedness. I see my own nakedness, then I see the nakedness of others. I see the, the things that I now consider flawed. The world became self-conscious. We moved from a God-consciousness to a self-consciousness. We became obsessed with how we look, how we come across we started to live in a toxicity of performance. And so the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now this is where we see a very human response. God is walking and it notice it says they heard the sound. And so they now remove themselves from God's presence because his presence is now a threat. And now they've put themselves in a position where they don't want God to see them for their flawed self. The Bible goes on and says in Genesis 3, 9 and 10, but the Lord God, now, God is good. 
Because God, when they were hiding, he was pursuing. Okay? That's where that's that's the beauty of that text right there. But the Lord God called. While they were hiding, God calls, God pursues. The first picture that we have of shame is a man hiding because he's flawed and a God pursuing beyond their flawedness. God calls, man hides. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And I wonder if there was a pause in all of that. That when God bellowed in the garden and said, where are you? That Adam just kind of maybe looked at Eve and said, I guess we ought to, you know. And he said, well, let's, let's admit it. We hid. I was afraid. God asked these questions. But we know that God being God, God being omniscient, God being all-knowing, was not asking that question because he was searching for Adam, like hide-and-seek, like he couldn't find him. What was actually happening there is God is drawing from Adam. God is drawing from Adam a moment where Adam is in need of seeing his surroundings. Adam is in need of understanding what has happened to him. Where are you? God says to him. And second, Adam has to conclude where he is. There is a sense The Bible says that as the cool of the day was there, that Adam was not only hiding in the trees, but he was most likely because the sun was going down, that he was hiding in the shadow of the trees. There is a sense that man was hiding himself and he needed someone to pull out of him where he was. He says, where are you? Just a note. Before we move further, why is God doing this? Because in many ways for us, we we have to realize that the Lord God cares for us so much that he counsels us and he gives us a second to acknowledge our spiritual state. One of the things that's healthy to do in the mornings is ask yourself, where am I? You know, me and God today, where, where am I? Where am I with my children? Where am I in my marriage? In, in many ways, you, you keep going, you keep pursuing, you keep performing, and you've not realized that you've moved away from the coolness of the garden of the presence of God, and now you're hiding in the shadows of performance. Where are you? God needed to say that to him so he could see himself. In many ways, we don't see ourselves spiritually. Genesis 3 and 11, he said, after Adam acknowledges what's happened, that he hid himself, that he was naked, the Lord says something very powerful. Who 
told you that you were naked. And this is such a parent statement, right? Like you can, as a parent, you feel the, you, you hear the tone and you're just like, I have been there before. Who told you that? He says, God says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, now he's talking to the woman for the first time. What is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. God is drawing out of them this self-inflicted shame and he presses into them and he asks, who told you this? He Before he asks, where are you? And, and what God is doing is this beautiful thing of helping them to not only realize where you are spiritually, but when he says, who told you you were naked? Wow. He is helping them see the self-talk and the inner critic that they've bowed down to. Who told you you were naked? You told yourself that. You see, in many ways, we are so married to the inner critic, we can't tell our inner critic from our real self. In many ways, the problem of your performance is that inner critic got you to the place you are today. Don't, I'm, I'm sorry, shaming is bad, but it's effective, amen? It, it will get you to go places. It will get you to wake up in the morning. It will get you to be in front of crowds. It will get you to write that book. It will get you to perform in ways that you've never performed before. Oh, oh I'm sorry, toxic shame is incredibly horrible for the soul, but it's effective. Who told you? God had to help him see the, the trauma and the triggering happening inside his heart, the, 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 the self-talk that he's internalized. Who told you this? Do you see? I, I didn't say it. Come on. I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you that. I never, I never, no, 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 you're my child. Why are you running from me? Who is talking to you? You, you, you are hearing things that I did not say. And you are going places that you think I can't reach you. Who told you that? Do you, let me tell you something right now. So much of your spiritual challenges don't come from the people in the office. They do not come from your family. So much of your shame comes from you. You are haunted by the achievements you didn't make. You are haunted by the person you wanted to be. You are haunted by moments of the past. You are haunted by those things. And like ghosts, they come and they talk to you and you have whole conversations with your inner critic and you agree with him. And he shames you. And you say, you're right. You're right, I suck. But you're right, I am so bad. Who told you that? Do you see how much God cares for Adam? That he does not tell, he doesn't just tell him, he helps him see. Oh, the great spiritual therapist. And so what happens when you hide? What happens when you hide? You cannot open, when you've defined yourself in your performance, you've got to not only hide your failure, but you've also got to shift the blame. 
You notice what happened? The first thing God says, who did this? He's like, this woman. If, this, if you hadn't given me this jacked up woman, I'd be in a better state of affairs. So then God goes to the woman and he's like, what happened? And she's like, this serpent you made. If you hadn't given me the serpent. And so there, there's, a, there's a sense in which there's a pattern that happens. The pattern is this. When we sin, we feel shame. When we feel shame, we hide. And when we hide, we blame. Sin, shame, hide, blame. Sin, shame, hide, blame. Sin, shame, hide, blame. And that pattern is torturing your soul. And there's a solution. And before I move to the the, the theocentric nature, the, 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 the Christ answer. Let me just move just in a moment just to acknowledge a, a humanistic way of looking at this. One of the first things that we have to do is be honest with our inner critic and invite Jesus to have a conversation with that inner critic. I was... I was counseling someone the other week, a very positive person, very positive person, very encouraging person. And they were telling me things that they thought about themselves. Well, I, you know, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this and I'm not that. And I was supposed to be this, but I'm not. And so, and in light of that, I'm, I'm nothing, you know, just basically all this thought. And I said, I said to that person, I said, person, um, if you were a friend if you had a friend that was in the same situation you were in, what would you tell them? Oh, I would tell them they were great. I would tell them they could make it. I would tell them they're more than a comp. I mean, they were just like positive and blowing them up. And I mean, just really encouraging them. And I said, you talk to you like you would never talk to a friend. You'd never tell a friend that. You would never shame a friend. You're not even a good friend to yourself. And if you think a friend, hallelujah, if you think a friend wouldn't talk to you, how do you think Jesus would talk to you? Jesus would sit with you. Jesus will build you up. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You can be flawed yet accepted in Christ. These are the first thing you have to do is invite. I'm, I'm literally, what I want you to do is get into the habit of saying, God, I invite you into this conversation I'm having with myself. You've got to realize there are, there are a chorus of conversations you're having with yourself, by yourself, and you're not strong enough. And you need to invite, literally say, Jesus, I invite you into this conversation. I invite you into this emotion. I cannot handle the shame. But the way that we are able to do that, the reason why we have been given access, the reason why we are able to give that invitation is because Adam and Eve are booted out of the garden. But before they are removed from God's presence, the Bible says in Genesis 3, 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, garments of skins and clothe them. <laughs> you, 
You see, Adam and Eve, before this, when they're hiding, they make a decision. Since I'm naked, I need to wrap myself in leaves. And now they are putting together leaves and they make themselves a loincloth of leaves. They, make, they literally make clothes out of leaves, which is incredibly innovative, amen? <laughs> but it's such a poor attempt to clothe yourself because the minute that sin now moves into the earth, we now have seasons on the earth. And have you ever seen a leaf in the cold? Leafs don't make it during the winter. You see, leafs are only good during the summer months, but leafs don't make it in winter. Leaves are unbelievable in the summer. They, 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 they're so strong and powerful in the summer, but the same is true of our soul. You see, when the, when the summer of the soul and things are shining bright and you're performing well, when the summer of the soul is there and everything is working good and you're, you're, you're on the mountaintop, when the summer of the soul is there and friendships are great and relationships are great, those leaves of performance work well. But when the winter of the soul hits, those leaves will crumble. Those leaves will shatter. Those leaves are not good enough garments to get you through life. And in the same way, your performance will never carry you far enough to feel whole and healthy. And Jesus says, take that off. But in order for Jesus to replace those crumbling leaves, it says he makes garments of skin. And if he made garments of skins, that means he had to kill an animal. It means he took an animal and he shed its blood. And as he shed its blood, he took the skin off that animal and he says, here, take this. This is a better, you need a covering now, but take a better covering because this will be with you in the winter months and it'll cover you in the summer months. I, I, I'm going to clothe you in something much better, better and greater than you could clothe yourself. And in that, we see the picture of Christ because the covering of Christ allows us to be vulnerable and flawed. It, it, it covers us. When Jesus is getting baptized, uh, the Lord God says, this is my son and to whom I am well pleased. And we now receive the righteousness of Christ. We cover ourselves with the righteousness of Christ. We can now feel clothed, the Bible says, in the righteousness of Christ. You can be flawed, yes, but covered in Christ. And so we receive the righteousness of Christ. And so we can be flawed, yet accepted. But here's something that we do not delve into enough. We experience an exchange on the cross. Because when Christ died, he was like that animal that was cut up and the garments given to us. And he gave us his righteousness. But one thing we don't realize is that we gave him our shame. You know, the Bible says in John 19, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each shoulder, also his tunic. 
One author says, the psychology of crucifixion had a profound political purpose. This was the end that awaited every enemy of the absolute Roman state. The opposite of peaceful death was that all good men hoped for at last, at, at the last. Instead, an end in which one's dignity and pride were torn away. The very purpose of the cross wasn't death, it was shame. You see, what we're not able to handle is how Jesus looked on the cross. You see, Jesus was naked on the cross. And when was the last time you saw a picture of that? We can't even bring ourselves to paint. I mean, even the most scandalous, like I'm saying, even the most scandalous non-religious people don't make naked Jesus. We, we talking about white Jesus and how, how much that's like a misrepresentation. But every time you see clothes on Jesus, you're actually seeing a misrepresentation of the true gospel. Jesus was naked on the cross. And we can't bring ourselves to paint that picture in our minds because we can't think to ourselves, oh, that's, I'm too ashamed to see naked Jesus. But it was a naked Jesus on the cross. And naked Jesus meant that when they mocked him, when they put the crown of thorns on him, when they jeered at him and they laughed at him, when he's naked, now think of the story, he's in front of his mother, he's in front of the world naked, and he is being shamed, shamed, shamed. Jesus was taking our shame. He was taking your shame. He was absorbing that inner critic. And he was allowing you to live in freedom. And every day you bow to that inner critic, you circumvent what Jesus did on the cross for you. This week, imagine if you would, those words that are toxic to your soul, Imagine them being thrown and hurled at Jesus because Jesus longs to receive that and to protect you, to make you full and whole. And tonight, we rest in a naked Jesus that died for us and a clothing to help us to rest in. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We rest in you. We thank you for taking our shame we thank you for inaugurating in us a new way of seeing life, inaugurating through Christ a new way, a new vision of being able to live in you, walk in you, and be clothed by you. Thank you for dying and receiving our shame. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. 
If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclays Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.